It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Often, those who suffer from anxiety either exhaust themselves trying to cure it or they resign themselves to a lifetime of fear and worry. But according to today's guest, Dr. David Rosemarin, instead of fighting anxiety, we can learn to turn it into a strength. He joins us today to discuss how we can use anxiety as a tool to be more self-aware, self-accepting, and resilient. Dr. Rosemarin is a board-certified clinical psychologist who is the founder of the Center for Anxiety, an associate professor at Harvard Medical School, and director of the McLean Hospital Spirituality and Mental Health Program. He's the author of the book, Thriving with Anxiety, Nine Tools to Make Your Anxiety Work for You. Welcome, Dr. Rosemarin. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Doctor, so many people suffer with anxiety, and when it happens, it can be debilitating. So when we are experiencing anxiety, what is actually happening in a body? It's a great question. Anxiety definitely can be debilitating. It is not always a strength. But if we have the right tools and strategies, we can turn it into one. So just to clarify that right up front. Um, in terms of the body, the fight or flight uh, response, is what's triggered when we have anxiety. And uh, there's a whole uh, host of physical symptoms, including our heart rate increases, our pupils dilate in our eyes, our uh, breathing rate increases, we get more tense. And all of that is a mobilization effect to be able to handle whatever we're facing with uh, more uh, strength and capacity. So there's a purpose for flight or fight, but what happens then, because of whatever we're experiencing in our lives, we're staying in that state, and our body's not designed to be in that constant state. I'll tell you what I think is happening. My sense is that we become actually allergic to the fight or flight response. And when people start to feel anxious or tense, there's all this messaging around us in our culture, which says we shouldn't ever feel uncomfortable, we shouldn't ever feel sad or anxious or have distress. So then when the fight or flight response goes off, the immediate response is, oh my God, something's wrong with me. And of course, what that does is just makes the fight or flight worse and anxiety cascades. If we have this vicious cycle that goes on, we have the response and then more stress that triggers more response and we just stay in this loop. How do we get out of that? How do we break that cycle? Well, the first step is to recognize that anxiety is a part of life. And it's an inescapable part of life as long as you're healthy. And I mean that literally. All healthy people will have anxiety at some point. And if our goal is to live entirely anxiety-free, well, first, it's not possible. But second, we'd be losing out on the tremendous opportunities that anxiety can provide for self-awareness, to connect with others, and uh, for resilience and many other things. So I think that's the first step and often the one that trips us up the most. So if two people 
experience the same situation, why do you think one person handles it in a way where they can kind of just brush it off and move on and it can become debilitating for another person? What is the difference between those two people? Great question. You know, I saw a study recently, which I think is more illustrative, and I think it can be used to answer your question. Um, There's a study in the Journal of Affective Disorders that crossed my desk. Um, Changes in anxiety and depression in patients with different income levels through the COVID-19 pandemic. And what the authors predicted is that people with lower income would have had higher, greater changes in anxiety and depression and higher levels of anxiety and depression. Um, relative to um, uh, those with higher income. And what they actually found, very interesting, was we found statistically significant worsening of depression and anxiety in respondents with higher income levels, and we did not observe a a significant change in anxiety for those with low income over the same period. And, you know, reflecting on the study and, uh, you know, one one of the discussion points, which I think is a really important one, is that when when people have less opportunity in life. And in some ways, there's an advantage because what we're doing, what happens is there's a more accepting of uncertainty and a more accepting, a more greater acceptance of uncontrollability. When people have all the opportunities from birth, they're not used to it when things don't go their way. And all of a sudden during the COVID pandemic, when uncertainty was rampant, that could lead to a major fluctuations in anxiety. The the word that kept going through my mind was resiliency. When when like you had just explained, when things aren't as easy for you, I th- I think you do have more coping skills and you can handle things better. Yes, and it's not to say that uh, you know the the answer to the anxiety epidemic is to give up our our riches, right. <laughs> but um, it but it but what I think we can learn from this and many other studies, which I think are showing the same thing is that we need to accept that we're not in control and to learn that that is a part of being resilient. Um, and that's what anxiety is about, learning to let go, to tolerate what's happening next. That is, a, that is the main lesson in many ways. I went through a lot of, of trauma at the start of the work I'm doing now, literally in a period mm-hmm. of five months. My mother died, my sister died, my 23-year marriage ended, and my oldest son left for college. So I lost everything wow. that I knew. Wow. And um, and I was in a bad place. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be really honest. I wasn't in a good state right. back then. But I always wondered why I was able to get through four major losses in a short period of time when any one of those things would have devastated someone else. And and to be honest, you know, that's why I asked that question of you, because I didn't know if some of it was just learned behavior, some of it was innate, but I was able to navigate it. But it did lead to a really increased level of self-awareness for myself. I wouldn't know the things about myself had I not gone through that. So can you just kind of explain to us what anxiety can teach us, how it can help us if we let it? That's exactly what my book is about. Um, and I think, you know, your story, which is so poignant, um, uh, shows that a, a change in attitude really can change your life, if I might. Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, well, and and uh, doctor, that's why I started this brand. And, and it really wasn't, <laughs> and there was no thought behind it, if I'm going to be really honest today. It was just, I knew I had to get my head in the game if I was going to survive. And those words just popped into my head, change your attitude, change your life. It really does make all the difference. Um, now, are there predictors of that? 
potentially some, but ultimately, you know, this is something that um, some people have uh, had the guidance to be able to do. I don't know who taught you that message when you were younger or maybe when you were, you know, older or what it was. But I think one of the issues is that we don't have this messaging is not when it comes to anxiety. That's not the typical message. The typical message is this is a disease. We have to treat it. We have to get rid of it. We have to make it smaller. And I don't think that's the right, uh, the best. Um, most adaptive message. I think instead the messaging is let's change our attitudes, let's change our perspectives, let's change our behaviors, let's get the tools that we need in order to not only get reduce this, but actually turn it into a strength and something that is happening for a reason. So if so much of our reaction to what we experience in life is in our subconscious, it's stuff that we learned years ago without even realizing we were learning it, how do we then turn it around? How do we become more conscious? Well, we need to have concrete tools and skills to be able to do this. And I'll give you one, one example. When people get anxious, they usually end up in, an, many people I should say, end up in an anxiety spiral. The spiral starts with a perception that the anxiety is dangerous and that they have a disease and that something's wrong with them. That of course makes the anxiety worse. The second aspect of it is a catastrophizing where, oh no, this is gonna be with me forever. I'm not gonna be able to handle this. And those two, thoughts. The first one, something's wrong with me, the sort of judgment of oneself, if you will. And the second one, the catastrophizing, they make anxiety substantially worse. And instead, simply holding in mind, this anxiety is here for a reason. It's part of my fight or flight response. I was built to have anxiety. And it's, it's, there's, there is some way that this is not a catastrophe. This is not the end of the world. It does not mean I'm diseased. I simply have to learn how to harness it. That simple messaging is a tool. That is something that people don't usually use and don't usually tell themselves, but turning that anxiety downward spiral um, into something even more positive, I think is, uh, is a key first step. So in your book, Thriving with Anxiety, you talk about nine tools that can help us make anxiety work for us. Would you briefly take us through those tools? Well, I'll give you I'll give you one um, which comes up early in the book. It's in chapter three, which is that sometimes we need to face many times. In fact, we need to face our fears and face what's making us anxious and stressed. And what happens amazingly is that the body will adapt and your anxiety will come down on its own. Now, this is something people don't often know. The fight or flight response is uh, caused by uh, adrenaline, um, which goes immediately into the bloodstream when people um, feel uh, a, people perceive a threat. And uh, that's called the sympathetic nervous system. But right away, the minute, second, that your sympathetic nervous system goes into gear and starts to pump adrenaline into your blood, and you start to feel those anxious response, there's something else that happens, which is called the parasympathetic response. And what that is a, is a cooling system and it always, it will go off unless there's something, you know, neurologically or, uh, you know, endocrine, somebody has an endocrine problem or, you know, with rare exception, those two will go off together. But the parasympathetic system, the one that cools you down, is much slower acting. So that one could take an hour to take an effect. The sympathetic nervous system happens right away. So naturally, your anxiety will go down on its own it will naturally come down. And for that reason, when we face our fear, you can be guaranteed that eventually it's gonna crest 
and it will start to plummet. And the parasympathetic system will, will kick into gear and you'll be able to feel that calm down the road. But that happens the best when we calm ourselves, when we um, accept. Um, instead of trying to sh- shove down our anxiety, we simply accept it's going to be what it's going to be and, and uh, actually go ahead and face our fears as opposed to running away from them. And so many of us, doctor, we live in a constant state of fear. We're afraid of everything. What if I can't make enough money? What if I can't do this? What if I can't do that? What if I fail at this? That's really the the story we write for ourselves on a daily basis. Yes. And with those thoughts going through one's mind, um, it seems like it's impossible not to feel anxious. But the answer to that is, well, what if we face the fear and actually think through what would it really be like to not make as much money? or to be grappling with a certain crisis. Usually people stop short as opposed to really accepting what's gonna be and the way that they feel. And one of the key strategies is to learn to tolerate uncertainty better by acceptance, by not trying to shut off your anxiety. I recently read a really wonderful article about if formations, and it says that we should ask those types of questions, the what ifs, because our brains love to solve problems. So it's almost like staying in that that state of maybe or possibility. What if this were to happen? Because it's things we never consider. We're always thinking the worst will happen, but it's making that switch to saying, well, hey, what if this were to happen? And and that would make a, a really big difference, as you just said. Yep. When we uh, don't uh, handle it, when we try to get shut off the anxiety valve right away, then we're, we actually close ourselves off to all sorts of possibilities. And so, Doctor, I know there's a place for medication in, in the lives of yep. some people, without a doubt. But do you think we're an over-medicated society? Anyone who experiences any type of anxiety gets put on a med. Do you think that that's the right approach to take? Firstly, I agree with you that there certainly is a time and a place for medications. And also, not all medications are created equal. There are different, not only types, but actually classes of medications that work completely differently on different uh, neurotransmitter systems within the brain. So um, just want to put it out there that, you know, obviously there is a time and a place for certain medications for certain individuals. And uh, I would even say many, or if not, you know, most individuals who need anxiety treatment might require some medication at some point. However, I don't think it's a good thing that a doctor's office a doctor's visit um, with uh, 10 minutes of assessment when a patient comes in and says, hey, I'm feeling anxious, and then they walk out with a prescription for Xanax. I don't think that's responsible medicine. I think that's made the anxiety epidemic substantially worse. And uh, instead of giving people an opportunity even to reframe their anxiety, to learn how to deal with it, what we've done is actually made them more allergic to their anxiety because what we've essentially done is sent them the message, something is wrong, and this they can't function with high levels of anxiety, which is not true in many cases. And you're not getting to the root of the problem. So would the goal then maybe be if someone does get medicated, then to make lifestyle changes, is there a chance they can get off the medication? There is if they want. And in many cases, that does happen. Um, But, you know, medication to me is to be used when people either don't have access to psychological treatments, they don't um, have uh, either the funds or they don't have the insurance that will be able to cover those types of treatments. They might not have the time to be able to uh, work on this. And I mean, literally cannot have the time. Like for the next three months, they're, you know, uh, on a major project and it's impossible for them. That's not a great situation, but it does happen. If they're going through a medical crisis, it's very hard to deal with, you know, your anxiety as well. You know, I understand those kinds of situations. And the other thing 
is that anxiety can be used in tandem in many cases with psychotherapy and with self-study and all sorts of strategies to make anxiety a little bit less, but not entirely gone away. And then we can learn to tolerate our anxiety over time, leading to the outcome that you mentioned before, which is eventually hopefully getting off of medications if people choose to do so. And I think what the exciting message in your work is, doctor, you know, when we experience anxiety, everything feels so outside of our control, like there's nothing we can do about it. But like you said, if we're willing to do the work and make some of these important changes, I think we have a lot of power over it. You know, the irony is that the more we accept that we're not in control when it comes to anxiety, the more control we have over it. So uh, that's a double-edged sword. Um, You know, the messaging around control that I really try to emphasize is to let go. And um, once we do, you're right, we do regain control. The boomerang comes comes right back around, but we got to throw the boomerang pretty far and uh, really watch it travel and have faith that it'll eventually come back. And I like Not an the, easy process. Well, and I like the concept of letting go because that's something that I tried years ago when I was starting to be afraid of everything. I finally just sat back and said, oh, just come and get me, you know, get me, I'm here. And the minute I said, come and <laughs> get great. me, nothing came to get me. <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly one of the messages that, that we need to start telling ourselves and others. And so, Doctor, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? Um, my author's website is dhrossmarin, my last name, dot com, and there's information about the book. And once again, the book is Thriving with Anxiety, Nine Tools to Make Your Anxiety Work for You. Doctor, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Thank you. What a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.